Chapter thirty seven of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint Amand. Translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter thirty seven The Proclamation of the Republic. One of the astonishing things in the French Revolution, says one of the most eminent writers of the democratic school, Edgar Quinet, is the unexpectedness with which the great changes occur. The most important events, the destruction of the monarchy and the advent of the republic, came about without any previous warning. The most ardent republicans were royalists, not merely under the old regime, but after 1789, and even up to August 10, 1792. Marat wrote in number 374 of the Ami du Peuple, February 17, 1791, I have often been represented as a mortal enemy of royalty, but I claim that the king has no better friend than myself. And he added, as to Louis XVI personally, I know very well that his defects are chargeable solely to his education, and that by nature he is an excellent sort of man, whom one would have cited as a worthy citizen, if he had not had the misfortune to be born on the throne but such as he is he is at all events the king we want we ought to thank heaven for having given him to us we ought to pray that he may be spared to us marat praying marat thanking heaven and for whom for the king does not that prove what deep root royalty had taken in france april twentieth seventeen hundred and ninety two the same marat bitterly reproached condorcet with shamelessly calumniating the Jacobin Club and perfidiously accusing it of wishing to destroy the monarchy. L'Ami du Peuple, number 434. June 13th, he attacked those who violated the oath taken at the time of the Federation and said, To defend the Constitution is the same thing as to be faithful to the nation, the law, and the king. L'Ami du Peuple, number 448. During the entire continuance of the Legislative Assembly, when Robespierre, having left the tribune was pretending to educate the people by means of his journal what he defended to the utmost was a royal constitution madame roland relates that after the flight to varennes when the prospect of a republic loomed up possibly for the first time at a secret meeting robespierre grinning as usual and biting his nails asked ironically what a republic might be in june seventeen hundred and ninety two the entire jacobin club was royalist still it proposed to drop Biot because Biot had dared to put the monarchical principle in question. On the 7th of July, following, two months and a half, that is, before the opening of the convention, at the time of the famous Lamourette Kiss, all the members of the assembly swore to execrate the republic forever. Three weeks after September 2nd, Danton alleged the paucity and the weakness of the republicans, compared with the royalists, as motives for the massacres. Pétion has said, when the insurrection of august tenth was undertaken there were but five men in france who desired a republic buzot madame roland's idol had written a wretched mob unintelligent and unenlightened vomited forth insults against royalty the rest neither desired nor willed anything but the constitution of seventeen hundred and ninety one and spoke of the republicans just as one speaks of extremely honest fools this people is republican only through force of the guillotine and yet September twenty first, seventeen hundred and ninety two, the convention holding its first sitting in the hall of the Manege began by proclaiming the Republic. 
Buzot, in his memoirs, has thus described the deputations that were sent to the bar and the people that occupied the galleries. It seemed as if the outlet of every sewer in Paris and other great cities had been searched for whatever was most filthy, hideous, and infected. Villainously dirty faces, surmounted by shocks of greasy hair, and with eyes half sunk into their heads, they spat out, with their nauseating breath, the grossest insults, mingled with the sharp snarls of carnivorous beasts. The galleries were worthy of such legislators, men whose frightful aspect betokened crime and poverty, and women whose shameless faces expressed the filthiest debauchery. With all these, with hands and feet and voice, made their horrible racket, one seemed to be an assembly of devils. When the session opened, Collor de Bois was the first speaker. He said, There is a matter which you cannot put off until tomorrow, which you cannot put off until this evening, which you cannot defer for a single instant without being unfaithful to the wishes of the nation. It is the abolition of royalty. Quinet, having objected that it would be better to present this question when the constitution was to be discussed, Grégoire, constitutional bishop of Blois, claimed, Certainly, no one will ever propose to us to preserve the deadly race of kings in France. All the dynasties have been breeds of ravenous beasts, living on nothing but human flesh. Still, it is necessary to reassure plainly the friends of liberty. This magic talisman, which has power to stupefy so many men, must be destroyed. Bazir remarked that it would be a frightful example to the people to see an assembly which they had entrusted with their dearest interests resolve upon anything in a moment of enthusiasm and without thorough discussion. Grégoire replied with vehemence, A. What need is there of discussion when everybody is of the same mind? Kings in the moral order are what monsters are in the physical order. Cults are the workshop of crime and the lair of tyrants. The history of kings is the martyrology of nations. We are all equally penetrated by this truth. What is the use of discussing it? Then the question, put to vote in these terms, the National Convention declares that royalty is abolished in France, was adopted amidst applause. At four in the afternoon of the same day, a municipal officer named Lubert, surrounded by mounted gendarmes and a large crowd of people, came to read a proclamation before the temple tower. The trumpets were sounded. A great silence ensued, and Lubert, who had a stentorian voice, read aloud to be heard by the royal family confined in the dungeon, this proclamation, the death knell of monarchy. Royalty is abolished in France. All public acts will be dated from the first year of the Republic. The seal of the state will be inscribed with this motto, Republique Française. The national seal will represent a woman seated on a sheaf of arms, holding in one hand a pike surmounted by a liberty cap. Hébert, the famous Père Duchesne. Duchesne was at this moment on guard near the royal family. Sitting on the threshold of their chamber, he sought to discover a movement of vexation or anger or any other emotion on their faces. He was unsuccessful. While listening to the revolutionary decree which snatched away his throne, the descendant of St. Louis, Henry the Fourth, and Louis the Fourteenth experienced not the slightest trouble. He had a book in his hand, and he quietly went on reading it. As impassive as her spouse, the queen neither made a movement nor uttered a word. When the proclamation was finished, the trumpet sounded again. Clary then went to the window, and the eyes of the crowd turned instantly towards him. As they mistook him for Louis the Sixteenth, they overwhelmed him with insults. The gendarmes made threatening gestures, and he was obliged to withdraw so as to quiet the tumult. When the populace was unchained around the temple prison, one man alone was calm. One man alone seemed a stranger to all anxiety. It was a prisoner. A new era begins. 
the death struggle of royalty is over royalty is dead and the king is soon to die gregoire who had stolen the vote there were but three hundred and seventy-one conventionists present three hundred and seventy-four were absent that is to say more than half is both surprised and enthusiastic about what he has done he confesses that for several days his excessive joy deprived him of appetite and sleep such joy will not last very long monsieur tin compares revolutionary france to a badly nourished workman poor and overdriven with toil and yet who drinks strong liquors at first in his intoxication he thinks he is a millionaire loved and admired he thinks himself a king but soon the radiant visions give place to the black and monstrous phantoms at present france has passed through the period of joyous delirium and is about to enter on another that is sombre behold it capable of daring suffering and doing all things whenever its guides as widely astray as itself shall point out an enemy or an obstacle to its fury how quickly the disenchantments come already lafayette the man of general illusions has had to imitate the conduct of those emigres on whom he has been so severe he has fled to a foreign land and found there not a refuge but a prison he will remain more than five years in the gloomy fortress of olmutz the victor of valmy dumouriez will hardly be more fortunate he will go over to the enemy and live in exile on a pension from foreign powers how close together deceptions and recantations come marat who has already said to the inhabitants of the capital eternal cockneys with what epithets would i not assail you in the transports of my despair if i knew any more humiliating than that of parisians marat who has said to all frenchmen no no liberty is not made for an ignorant light and frivolous nation for sits brought up in fear dissimulation knavery and lying nourished in cunning intrigue sycophancy avarice and swindling subsisting only by theft and rapine aspiring after nothing but pleasures titles and decorations and already ready to sell themselves for gold marat will write may seventh seventeen hundred and ninety three that is to say to establish and consolidate liberty have been thoughtless vain and illusory even supposing them to have been taken in good faith the greater part seems to have had for their object to perpetuate oppression bring on anarchy death poverty and famine to make the people weary of their independence to make liberty a burden to cause them to detest the revolution through its excessive disorders to exhaust them by watching fatigue want and inanition to reduce them to despair by hunger and to bring them back to despotism by civil war there were six ministers appointed on august tenth two of them clavier and roland will kill themselves two others lebrun tendu and danton will be guillotined the remaining two servant and monge are destined to become one a general of division under napoleon and the other a senator of the empire and count of Pelleuse. and when at the beginning of his reign the emperor complains to the latter because there are still partisans of the republic to be found sire the former minister of august tenth will answer we had so much trouble to make them republicans may it please your majesty kindly to allow them at least a few days to become imperialists of the two men who had so enthusiastically brought about the proclamation of the republic one collot de bois will be transported to guyana by the republicans and die there in a paroxysm of burning fever the other gregoire will be a senator of the empire which will not however preventing him from promoting the despotism of napoleon as he had promoted that of louis the sixteenth there are men who will exchange the jacket of the sans-culotte for the gilded livery of an imperial functionary 
the conventionists and regicides are transformed into dukes and counts and barons david the official painter of the empire napoleon's favorite will paint with joy the picture of a pope and be very proud of his great picture of the new charlemagne's coronation but listen to edgar quinet when i see the orators of deputations taking things with such a high hand at the bar and lording it so proudly over mute and complacent assemblies i should like to know what became of them a few years later and thereupon he sets out to discover their traces but after considerable investigation he stops if i searched any further he exclaims i should be afraid of encountering them among the petty employees of the empire it was quite enough to see huguenin the indomitable president of the insurrectionary commune so quickly tamed soliciting and obtaining a post as clerk of town gates as soon as absolute power made its reappearance after the eighteen primaire the terrible santerre becomes the gentlest of men as soon as he is pensioned by the first consul hardly had boudon de Loise and arbitre these men of iron felt the rod then you see them the supplest functionaries of the empire the great king-taker drouet thrones in it the sub-prefecture of saint menehou napoleon had related that on august tenth he was in a shop in the carousel whence he witnessed the taking of the palace if he had a presentiment then he must have smiled at the chaos which he was to reduce so easily to its former limits how many furies and all to terminate so soon in the accustomed obedience is not history with its perpetual alternatives of license and despotism like a virtual circle and do not the nations pass their time in producing webs of penelope whose blood threads they weave and unweave again with tears all governments royalties empires republics ought to be more modest but all profoundly forgetful of the lessons of the past believe themselves immortal all declare haughtily that they have closed forever the era of revolutions with the advent of the republic a new calendar has been put in force the equality of days and nights at the autumnal equinox opened the era of civil equality on september twenty second who would have believed that this human geometry so profoundly calculated was written in the sand and that in a few years no traces of it would remain the heavens have continued to gravitate and have brought back the equality of days and nights but they have allowed the promised liberty and equality to perish like meteors that vanish in empty space the sans culottes have not been able to make themselves popular among the starry peoples an ancient belief which the men of the revolution had neglected through fear or through contempt was again met with a spectre had appeared a chilly breath like that of samuel had made itself felt and lo the edifice so sagely constructed and leaning on the worlds had vanished away there lies at the foundation of history a supreme sadness and melancholy this never-ending series of illusions and deceptions errors and afflictions faults and crimes this rage and passion and folly so many efforts and fatigues so many dangers tortures and tears so much blood such revolutions catastrophes cataclysms of every sort and all for what wretched humanity rolling its tone of sisyphus from age to age inspires far more compassion than contempt the painful reflections caused by the annals of all peoples are perhaps more sombre for the french revolution than for any other period edgar quinet justly laments over the inequality between the sacrifices of the victims and the results obtained by posterity he affirms that in other histories one thing reconciles us to the fury of men and that is the speedy fecundity of the blood they shed for example when one sees that of the martyrs flow one also sees christianity spread over the earth from the depth of the catacombs 
while amongst us the blood which streamed most abundantly and from such lofty sources did not find soil equally well prepared and the illustrious historian exclaimed sadly the supreme consolation has been refused to our greatest dead their blood has not been a seed of virtue and independence for their posterity if they should reappear once more they would feel themselves tortured again and on a worse scaffold by the denial of their descendants they would hurl at us again the same adieu o liberty how they have betrayed thee end of chapter thirty seven read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama end of marie antoinette and the downfall of royalty by imbert de saint amand translated by elizabeth g martin